those of you who don't know, I, um, I teach at a schoolish type place called the Training Center. We teach homeschoolers classes that maybe their parents just don't want to teach. Like, I mean, let's get real. What parent wants to teach their kid math? Do I get, can I get a witness out there? Amen, brothers and sisters, yeah. Um, my wife teaches math, and my eyes just glaze over. She's talking about geometry. But I teach a class called Worldview. I teach high school juniors and seniors. And um, we go through the eight big questions that every Worldview asks, answers, no matter, no matter if you don't even think you have a Worldview. Even if you don't think you ask the big questions, you have answers, whether you know it or not. And um, this past Monday, we did one of my favorite questions to get these kids talking, um, and it's question number seven. Monica's going to put it up. Um, Worldview question number seven, what is the meaning of human history? What a great question. What is the meaning of human history? History as we know it, what is the meaning of human history? And then the answer we, we give is, Human history is linear. I did, this isn't my answer. This comes from uh, James Sire's book, uh, The Universe Next Door. Human history is linear, a meaningful sequence of events leading to the fulfillment of God's purposes for humanity. Now, what's great about this answer is there are lots of ways to look at, the, like the idea that history is linear. I always ask them, what do you mean by linear? Well, it goes in a line. So if, if God said... Uh, let there be way, 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 way over there, then history is going like this. And somewhere way, 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 way over there, uh, he's going to make all things new. It's not going to be the end. It wasn't like once upon a time, like a fairy tale, and they lived happily ever after the end. It's going to be, he's going to make all things new, and it's going to be like a brand new start, but it's a line. And so it's, it's fun to ask, what are the alternatives to linear? Well, what, what another worldview might say? Well, it could be circular, right? History could just be going, you know, just kind of twirling around and going in circles. And, you know, if the timeline ever gets close enough, you just kind of jump over to another one because you just didn't get it really, you didn't do a good job with, with the first try. And you got sent back to be a cockroach or something because you were a lousy human and right or so so maybe you 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 moved around on the timeline right you were here and you went back there and you were there and you went here and and you got worse and better and worse or it was like this and it was swirling right and so many different ways to see it or even the word meaningful right a plenty of debate today you you get on youtube and there are entire debates in front of large audience about um, does the universe have any meaning? Does the universe have any purpose? Does history itself have any purpose or meaning to it? And there are lots of people who say, oh, it's just kind of going. Or it's going. And we're saying scripture says, no, that there's, there's a meaning. There's a meaning giver. There's a purpose giver. God has, has, has a purpose for humanity in where history is going. And we can't just like make history go pew, pew. You know, some of the kids in class who have Disney Channel, they watched uh, Loki. Did anybody watch Loki? Not low-key. Loki, L-O-K-I. No, yeah. There's a, a department that's in charge of making history sure history doesn't keep going, that it stays on the line. And so they're out chasing people down who keep messing up history, right? Now, history doesn't... That's just in Marvel 
movies, y'all. People can't do this and go through portals and so that three different Spider-Mans are on the scene at the same time. That's, that's not how history actually works. It makes for good movies, but right. It's linear. It has a direction. It's going somewhere, and it's governed by the God who gives it meaning. We are not in charge of our own meaning. We find ourselves in a story. Now, one of the great things about this is, and one of the things I share with our students this week is that there are points in time along that line where everything after that point in time is different. Like, if you go back to when Adam and Eve fell, humanity was fundamentally different after that moment. Everything changed after that. Um, after the birth of Jesus, everything changed. I mean, look around you. We brought trees in the house. That's weird. Who brings a tree in their house and puts lights on it? Who knocks on a door and sings? Bizarre behavior. Unless the word became flesh, the son of God came to earth, right? So everything changed after that. He died, he rose again, um, right? So everything on the line was different after those events. And if you can kind of get that in your head that not only is it going somewhere, but there are moments in time where everything changes, right? And another one of those was a big one that we'll get, we'll get into a little bit here now is Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and they're at the beginning of the book of Acts and you would say the church is born, if you will, right? That's, everything's different after that, right? You've got these people go to the church and the Spirit's there representing Christ. It's Christ in them, the hope of glory, right? But it also introduced probably... I mean, we love to think that we live in this time where our problems are bigger than everybody else's problems. Um, but I would say that possibly the biggest problem in the New Testament is constantly dealing with it, that the church has ever faced um, has been, um, how in the world are we going to bring Jews and Gentiles together into the same church and get them to live in harmony together? Remember, that, remember a few weeks ago when we brought the people up on stage, right? And we were talking about this, the whole idea of foods offered to idols. And we had like this pagan who didn't care. And then we had this Jew who really did care. And then we had this, this brand new believer who had been a pagan. So he was very, very sensitive to this. And then maybe you had a, a Gentile who had converted to Judaism who had become a Christian, right? So he's looking at it differently. So you've got all these different people who look at the law and look at things so, so differently, and we have to bring them all together in one church and help them love each other and be on mission together. That, that is extremely difficult. But when it happens well, it can change everything on the timeline after that. I told my story a couple of months ago about how um, it was this very thing, this sense of acceptance, this sense of hospitality, this sense of reception that I found as a 19, 20-year-old, 100% clueless kid walking into a church for the very first time. I didn't know. I barely knew a Bible from a hymnal. I didn't know Moses from Noah. And I came in, and they were just like, he's clueless, but he seems harmless. Come on in, right? And we'll teach you, and we'll help you, right? My life was different because there was this sense of, 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 of reception and hospitality and acceptance. And 
the New Testament is filled with Peter and Paul and the apostles saying, Gentiles, Jews, you've got to learn to do this because it's a huge part of where God has been going in his story. It's what God has been doing for a long, long time, and it's where he's going in this story. And if you don't get this right, you're not going to get the story right. My life was changed by it, but we're talking about something even bigger than that, and it reflects our understanding, right? It doesn't just change your story. Your story is changed by the gospel, the bigger story. So this morning, I'm not just going to kill two birds with one stone. This morning, I'm going to kill uh, five candles with one sermon, um, I think. I didn't mean to do this, but I was just looking at my text. I was like, whoa, all the candles are in this text. I meant to do that, right? So um, it's all there, joy, peace, hope, Jesus, love. Um, the context is the book of Romans, and a big, big deal here is got Jews, we've got Gentiles, and he, he starts out by saying, well, you're both equally sinners. Uh, Jews, you're coming at it this way, you're sinners. Gentiles, you're coming at it this way, guess what, you're sinners too. And you're both going to have to come to, to God and be made righteous the very same way. It's going to have to be by grace through faith. You, you, you can't come at this through the law. The law is just going to prove what sinners you are, right? And so once, once he's kind of got that all figured out, it's like, now, okay, how in the world is this going to work as a church. And so you come to chapter 14 and chapter 15, it's like a chapter and a half of this, just like it was over in 1 Corinthians. And so we don't want to get into all of the details, but you've got basically people from two different planets coming to live in the same church. And um, you've got chapter 14 where he's, he's telling them, hey, let's, how about in se- Verse 13, stop passing judgment on each other. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block in, a, in the way of another person. In other words, what if instead of folding your arms and saying, well, if, if that person would just get their act together and stop doing this and start doing that, then maybe this place would just be working a lot better. And if they would do this and do this and get that. He says, how about if instead you like unfolded your arms and you came to the person and said, okay, how can I make this a little easier for you? How can I help you move forward, right? And then he makes this great statement, chapter 14, verse 17, because the kingdom of God isn't about what you eat and drink, and that was kind of the heart of it, but about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what, the kingdom, that's what we're after. We're arguing about, well, you're eating this, and you're not eating that, and you don't do this day, and you do that day, and he's like, well, that's, that's not the point. He says, so let's make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. So instead of having this, this thing where like you're different from me and you're different from me, and, but I've got my people over here and we do things this way and you do this, right? So, so we, you sit on that side and we'll sit on that side. He says, what if, what if you just went all out and said, you know what? I'm going to make every effort to be at, not only to be at peace, but to be mutually edified, to make sure that we're all being built up in the same way. He says, this great statement, verse 22, which is like, ooh, this is a kick in the pants here. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Did he just tell us that there's just some things you just need to be quiet about? Surely he did not. Yes, he did, right? You know what? You're getting upset about all these things that aren't even sin. Maybe instead of just like being all judgy about them, you could just 
figure out how to have peace and edify. And then you come to chapter 15, which is where we're going to land. It's taken me a while to get there, sorry. But there's these two sections at the beginning of chapter 15 where there's these exhortations that are followed by these little benediction prayer type things. The first one is in 15 verse 1 through 4. There's this, this exhortation that if you're strong, bear with the failings of the weak. You're not in this for yourself. You're looking for the pleasure of your neighbor, not for your own good. Build your neighbor up, because this is what Jesus did. And then he says, all those stories, everything that was written to you in the past, everything you've written in the past was written so that you could, so that you could endure and you could be encouraged and that you could have hope. So that the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Then he says something in verse 5. May the God who gives endurance encouragement, wait a minute, you just said the scripture gives endurance and encouragement. Now you're saying God gives endurance and encouragement. So if God's, hey God, I need some endurance and encouragement, God says, okay, cool, let's look at what I told you, right? And he comes and says, let's look at the scripture, this is stuff I've said, let's listen, right? And he says, let that bring you all together to have the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus have, so that you may be of one mind. And when you're of one mind, you can speak with one voice. And when you have one mind and one voice, you glorify God together and Lord Jesus Christ. So that was the first little exhortation followed by a little prayer. But the, the one I really want us to spend time on this morning is, it starts in verse 7. Um, it goes down to verse 13. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Um, except one other then, all of this being true about Jew and Gentile and people who hold to these traditions and people who keep this law and people who don't do this and people who do this, with all this being said, just receive each other. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Receive one another just as Christ has received you. Now, if the just as Christ part isn't like amazing to you, like that's the amazing part of the verse, right? Jesus has welcomed you. Jesus has received you. Jesus has accepted you. Oh, wow, he has. Like not be, how has he done that? Like, if I have to, I wrote it down. I guess I got to receive you now. No, Jesus is like a joyful welcome. He's a gracious, overflowing grace welcome, right? Jesus isn't like, we're not twisting Jesus' arm. No. And if, and if Jesus is receiving you like this, then you receive one another like that. I love to imagine, like this is red, let's say, on a Sunday. Hey, we're going to read another Paul's part of Paul's letter today. Accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. Can you imagine like, they're looking around the room. Does he mean that guy? Even her? Yep, even her. Maybe another way to put it would be, who are you to reject someone that Christ has accepted? Right? So accept the one, back, back in chapter 14, accept the one whose faith is, faith is weak without quarreling over disputed matters, disputable matters. So you're quarreling over all this disputable stuff 
when I just want you to accept each other. And then he just throws that, in order to bring praise to God, and oftentimes we throw that on there because, you know, we have to, because it's about the glory of God, and make sure you say that so that God doesn't get mad because it's, because it's for his glory. And, and, and Paul isn't like that. He knows that we are not prone to this. We are, we are not prone to receiving and welcoming others who are different from us. God is honored by that. That's not a little throwaway phrase. But then the next verse starts with the word for. For, because here, says, because there's a much bigger picture at work here. So, you, so, so you're looking at your church, you're looking at you and your neighbor, you're looking at the guy across the aisle, you're looking at these, these, these people that maybe you kind of uh, have a hard time and you're trying to work on this acceptance and grace. So let's pull back on this a little bit. There's a bigger timeline at play here. There's, a, there's something more going on in history here, and I want to I connect you to that. There's this intersection here between the big story and your story. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. Where did that come from? Right. Um, Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. So what do we celebrate at Christmas time? The wise men come, they find Herod, and what question do they ask? Where is the one born king of the Jews? Right? What do they put over Christ's head when he's on the cross? King of the Jews. We know this is king of the Jews, but he says here he came to be a servant of the Jews. Boy, how is that for flipping kingship on its head, right? The king who came to serve. Boy, there's, there's an entirely other political sermon to be preached right there, but we won't get into that. But He's born king of the Jews, but he came to serve his people on behalf of the truth. In other words, God had spoken truth. God had made promises. God had made promises all the way back to the patriarchs. You can go back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God had made these promises. Christ came on behalf of the promises to serve God's people by being the agent of those promises. And the promises include the Gentiles. So when God made the promise to Abraham in in Genesis 12 and 14 and 17, all those times he made it over and over again, what do you say? Bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. All the ends of the earth will be blessed through you. I'll make you a great nation. All the ends of the earth blessed through you, Abraham. Along comes Jesus and says, I'm going to serve the Jews on behalf of the promise made to Abraham. Because the promise made to Abraham wasn't just to the Jews, it was to the Gentiles too. This is what Peter preached in the temple after they, he and John come and heal that lame beggar. He stands up and says, You are heirs of the prophets and the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning you from your wicked ways. So he came first to get the Jews to turn. Bring the Gentiles in. 
2 Corinthians 1.20. No matter how many promises God has made, they're yes in Jesus. So every promise, this, this servant king shows up and says, yes, 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 yes to all these promises. Jew, Gentile, I'm accepting you. And then he brings in these other scriptures in verse 9 through 12. And moreover, the Gentiles might, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. In other words, it isn't, let's make the Gentiles good law keepers. It's, let's, let's make the Gentiles open to the mercy and grace of God. As it is written, therefore I will praise you, verse 9. I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Verse 10, again it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. Verse 11, and again, Paul's just piling it up here. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, that all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, oh, I love this verse. The root of Jesse will spring up one who will arise to rule over the nations and in him the Gentiles will hope. So he's quoting Psalm 18. I will praise you among the nations. He's quoting Deuteronomy, Psalm 117. This root of Jesse, right? The tree seems to have been cut down but there's still a root. Remember what we say, as long as there's a root, there's hope. Right? As long as there's a root, there's hope. So you see what he's saying. You're looking at this as just you and another person. Your little group and this other little group, and they don't do things the way you do things, and there's this questionable stuff, and, and you're like all judgy, and you're not wanting to help, you're not wanting to accept, let them do their thing, let you do their thing, and you're just kind of folding your arms, and he's like, you're missing the bigger story. The big story is that God made promises thousands of years before you ever showed up. Christ came to serve those promises, and those promises were that, that he's accepting both sides of this by mercy. You didn't earn your way into this. Who are you to make the other person do that? Who are you to think that those person you're folding your arms about, that they've got to be somehow some sort of standard that you yourself didn't have to meet? Right? And then he just offers this beautiful benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> may the Holy Spirit come on you in such a way that you're just overflowing with hope because in him the Gentiles will hope. That's what, that's what this whole thing is about. That's what's the first candle we lit. And we got the joy candle, the peace candle. They're all here. The Jesus candle's in the middle. He's there. The love candle. Love's everywhere. We'll just assume that it's in the text, right? <laughs> that's, that's the benediction. That's the prayer. Like, when you start working on this rejoicing in each other and re receiving and this welcoming, this accepting, what you're going to find is, is you're going to be overflowing in hope. And, and we know what Peter said about hope. People are going to start asking, where'd you get this hope? And you'll have to be ready to give an answer. By the power of the Spirit. This, is, this isn't something you're going to come up with. We are not, this is not natural to any of us. I do not get this naturally. I do not naturally accept people the way Jesus accepted me. I need the Spirit's help, and so do you. This is, but he says this lack of acceptance is, a, is a very much a gospel issue. Let me just give you one quick example of this. It's right here in the Bible. Um, do you remember this story when... Um, Peter went to Antioch 
and Paul got in Peter's face, like in front of all those people, and you go, that's kind of rough. It says, I opposed Peter to his face because these certain men came from James, and Peter used to eat with Gentiles, but when these other dudes arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of these. In other words, these Jews showed up, and these Jews were really, really good law keepers, and they were very much about the law, and they were really, really good dudes. And Peter had been, like when there was a big meal, Peter was all the time going over here and eating with the Gentiles, and they didn't know as much as these other guys, and some of them had been kind of rough backgrounds, and they were probably still really rough around the edges, and they weren't quite as up to snuff as maybe these other dudes. And, and so if you went to a meal, maybe like the really kind of the good people would be over here and maybe not quite as polished people would be over here. And Peter was really used to eating with these. But then when these other dudes showed up, he was like, oh, goodness. And he started gravitating over here because he was afraid what those people would think if they saw him over here. Sorry, I'm not trying to say that you guys are the good people and you guys are the not so polished people. I'm sure we're all mixed together here. I'm sorry, I just talk with my hands. Anyway, right? And... And it says, Paul says, I got in Peter's face and I confronted him and said, what are you doing? And look, listen to what he says. He says, I saw he wasn't acting in line with the truth of the gospel. The way you're acting, Peter, tells me that you're not understanding the gospel by your actions. The gospel says these people and these people come to Jesus the same way. Right? So this is a big picture. This is a big story issue in the way we treat and accept people who are different from us. You keep going back to the Bible and it fuels our endurance. Just tells you how huge Christmas is that it changes the thrill of hope, the worry world rejoices. So I wonder, um, I wonder if we could, if you could take a moment um, to do two things. Um, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to think about your own timeline with Jesus. And maybe you've been at this like you came out of the womb and you got this. Or maybe it was later or something. I don't know what your story is. But um, maybe you can think about those people who welcomed you. Maybe you can think about those people who received you. Maybe when you weren't very receivable, right? Maybe you've got that the people who brought you in, the people who helped you and taught you when maybe you weren't really living up to much? Do you have those people in your life? Maybe this would just be a really good time to say, wow, that was, that was people who understood their place in the timeline. Those were people who understood the gospel. Those were people who accepted me the way Christ accepted them. And just realize that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. That wasn't just... I mean, I, I, it would be very easy for me to look back and go, oh, that was just East Tennessee hospitality. Then people was just being nice like they're supposed to be, right? It wasn't. It wasn't. These are Jesus-loving people. Um, right? So just take a moment. Consider that. Maybe get some faces in your mind and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the people who did that. And then... Maybe you need to take a moment now and go, okay, who is it that I'm not very welcoming to? Who is it that I'm, that I'm not willing to accept maybe the way Jesus would or receive the way Jesus would? Right? 
I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not talking about stuff that's like core doctrine stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking just about people who are different. Paul says that we are very tempted in these passages. We're tempted to despise. We're tempted to hold people in contempt. He knows how this feels. He used to throw people in jail, for crying out loud. (laughs) And he says the call is to love, right? I know this is offensive, and you're probably not going to believe me when I tell you this. Um, I'll just speak for myself. This may not speak to you. Um, I am difficult to love sometimes. (laughs) That's shocking. (laughs) I was going to say everybody is difficult to love sometimes. They may not be true. Everybody here may just be like easy peasy to love 24-7. I don't think it's true. I think... Everybody is difficult to love, right? We're all sinners, and we get and rub shoulders with other sinners, and um, I can be a very frustrating person. Um, I just need people to love me and accept me, and um, I'm thankful for the ones who have, but I just kind of wonder if you have people that, like, you close your eyes, and a picture comes to mind, and you kind of go like... Right, we all kind of have that person in our life. We go, ah. and then you go, really, God, that person, that person's kind of difficult. And he goes, yeah, so are you. And and you just kind of, right. And then you just kind of think, maybe, okay, wh- wh- how do I love them like you've loved me? How do I show them grace like you've shown me? How do I receive them the way you've received me? How do I reach out? How do I cross the border? That's probably just a man-made border anyway, right? This is a call to hope. This is a call to the bigger picture. It could be that there's somebody out there whose timeline will change because of the way you loved them and the way we loved. Like, they'll go, yeah, I met this this person from Creekside and my life was never the same after that. And you go, well, my story, like, as far as the story story goes, we're a little bit apart, but that's not the point the little bitty story that's connected to the big story. That's the big deal, right? So why don't we take a moment and just pray about those two people. Let's give God thanks for the people who received us, and then let's pray for grace to be the receiving type of people. Will you join me for that? What if we just had a moment of silence for that? And then I will close this in just a moment. God, I, um, I know that around this room right now there are... Um, there's a lot of thanksgiving happening because you have sent people to us down through the years who are like Jesus to us. And I thank you for that. Thank you for the people who just keep on showing me grace because I can just be a handful sometimes. Um, and you just keep putting people beside me and people who love me and I thank you for that. 
And Lord, I thank you that with a room with this many people at it, in it right now, that's, that's a lot of people. This is a lot of people who've been loved and accepted and welcomed and received. And, and Lord, if there's, there's people in the room now who've, who've never known your welcome, who've never known your reception, um, I pray that their hearts would be open to just seeing how gracious and loving and open you are. You died for this, Jesus. You died for this. Whatever it is that's standing in the way, whatever sin is in the way, this morning you, you died for that sin so that you could offer the welcome so that you could give the mercy, you could give the grace, you could freely love. Lord, may it be said of us here that that we're what the gospel looks like in the way we treat people. God, may it be that there's people in this neighborhood, people in this community, who will one day talk about how their timeline changed because they encountered one of us. God, by the power of your spirit, would you make this so? God. And we would repent and ask for your forgiveness um, just, Lord, for the, for the ways that we've not been like this. Lord, in the last however many years, We've allowed every sort of thing to, to divide us. Um, how dare us not be receptive to people that you would receive, Lord. Send us into this world like that, God. Send us across the room like that, God. Whatever it would be, we pray all this in Jesus' name.